friends! Welcome to episode 196 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, full. Yeah. Dinner was good. It hit the spot just right. I didn't know what I wanted until the last minute, but I am glad I got what I got. So. I'm glad you got what you got, too, because I was being super indecisive, and I was just like, yeah, that sounds good. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I just... I just copied you entirely, and I was not disappointed. So, uh... We had your game last week. Well, before we even get into that, because I think that's actually more on topic than anything else. Okay, okay, okay. D&D. The OGL. Creative Commons. All this shit happened. What what did we tell you? It it was going to (laughs) change immediately. It changed immediately as we got off the air, because we'd, we'd reported some of the rumors from, uh, D and D shorts. I think it was that day. Yeah. Like as we were logging off, he was retracting some of the rumors, Mm -hmm. but then kind of went back when some other people also kind of confirmed them. So there was some things up in the air with that, but Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. things happened, more things happened. And then kind of, we won. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody won. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of people say they won. We <laughs> well, all won. Yeah, I, I think this is very much like uh, the the tank girl. I won. Say it. Say I won. I won. No, yeah. no, say I won. I, I won. won. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, like, and what's funny is, is that uh, everyone agrees that it felt hasty. Mm-hmm. Because like, you look at what they left open on the table within the Creative Commons, and it was like, oopsie. Because there's oh. things that are, like, right there now. There's things that, in there, like, like oh, what, Mind Flayers and Abolists and Because they left the whole aberration list in there. They didn't just say, oh, aberrations are X, and not tell told you any names, didn't name it. No, they named it. Right, right, So right. by naming it, now that's that's Creative Commons. It's yeah. there. You, you just put it out there. Huh. So, like, you don't know if it was someone who was just like, get this out as quickly as possible. We need to get this behind us. Are you sure, sir? Yes. Are you sure, sir? Just do it. Okay, just hit send. Sir. You know, and there, there we go. Copy, pasted, done. Yeah. <laughs> I saw somebody call it one of the one of the best cases of malicious compliance they've ever seen. <laughs> it, if it was that. If it was that. Yeah. If it was that. Yeah. And, uh, and now, like, we have, we have the, the full, like, almost turn back, if you will, mm-hmm. where 1.0a is, is 100% staying as it is, yep. In, yep. indefinite. We have Creative Commons on the SRD, so pretty much anyone can grab that. So if you use both in, in conjunction, you can just do what you want to do, yep. which is great. I mean, that's what everybody wanted in the first place. It leaves some open questions about, you know, one D&D, what's going to happen there, whether that's going to be under different license control, which I would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Um because it's not going to be the same SRD. We know that. Sure, The sure. rules are going to change. There's going to be some adjustments. Uh, nothing sweeping, but enough that it makes an adjustment because we see that with every version that, that happens. Um, but not only that, but now they're trying to get trust back in the community. And th- this is me throwing my 10% out there of what I future view on this. And that is, is I have a funny feeling that we're going to see... Wizards of the Coast taking a separation from Hasbro. They're going to let Hasbro fall on a sword and make statements like, hey, we're trying to do our best over here, but we were getting pressure mm-hmm. and we didn't have choices, which is why they're having a, the president of D&D, the executive vice president of producer of D&D on Ginny D, with Ginny D. Now, I think that's an interesting choice of yeah, all yeah, yeah, of yeah. the people they could have chose. They co- chose someone who had 
a decent following. Don't get me wrong. She has got a good following. Yeah, but, But like... she is not the predominant, like... I would have picked a lot of other people who support D&D to real, an nth degree. Yeah, real real talk. She's a cosplayer and performer that became a fan of D&D and has been behind it and has and has leveraged her her existing fan base to talk a little bit about D&D and stuff like that. But she hits the right target group to sure, try and buy sure. back trust from, which mm-hmm. is a younger crowd. Yeah. She's, they're going after the critters, because mm-hmm. the critters follow her. Absolutely. You know, so they're they're hitting the right, I guess, group of the culture, within the culture. Yeah, sure. And so I, I, I will not fault for what they're doing. Ginny D is doing the one thing that she does best. I don't know anything about that. You know, I, I don't know what I don't know. What questions should I ask? Sure, sure. And put that out on Twitter. Mm-hmm. By all means, go up there and add your questions. Do not hate on someone in our community who oh, is no, 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 who no. is flagging and has got yeah. an ear. Absolutely no hate on Jenny D whatsoever. Never. Absolutely none. Like, just like us. Like, I will flat out say it. We are nobodies in this community. Mm-hmm. We have... A meager following in comparison to even Ginny, but again, we don't show our faces. Sure. We don't do cute videos every two days, and neither of us cosplay to any relative mean. Yeah. So, like, this is us talking to the world saying, please be kind. This is a... She is doing the best she can, and she asks for help all the time to some very successful people who have been doing this like we have for decades. Mm-hmm. And learns. She learned about burnout in her own game. She learned about what she's been doing wrong, and she's very quick to come back to it and explain that to the community. I hope this is another learning experience that she can express through and oh, help sure. D&D. I think, I, I think it will be good all around, but I think it's interesting their choices they're making. Yeah, yeah, it so, is interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for, for me, like, I... I pay attention to... I pay attention to this stuff because... Uh, Obviously, I need to for the podcast and whatnot. It's always good to keep abreast on the situation in in the community and whatnot, especially in, uh, you know, the the, the TTRPG's arguably flagship game. Yeah. Uh, but I'll I'll tell you what. There for me, the interesting question is: Does this make things right? You know, and I think we all need to decide that on an individual basis. Oh, without How a doubt, are we? Um, I am. I am very much in the once bitten, twice shy camp. Um, I think that, you know, attempted murder is a crime for a reason, that it doesn't actually matter if you committed the crime. The intent to commit the crime is is, is, is a large part of that. And uh, they attempted to destroy a large part of our hobby and destroy a game and monetize it and turn it all against us. Um, and for me, that's, that's, that's a nail in the coffin, whether they walked it back two weeks later or not, you know? So... It shows it shows what they're capable of. It shows what their priorities are, and that a lot of the only reason that they did walk it back was because they started losing money hand over fist from D and D Beyond subscriptions. Now, I will say that is my solely my opinion. Mm-hmm. I am in no way implying anybody needs to share that opinion. By all means, if this fixes stuff for you and you go back to D and D, more power to you. I hope you have great games or continue continue at least with D and D Beyond and uh, the product system and the products itself. Sure, sure. Like keep playing D and D for all by by yeah, all means. Look, but, well, like, one, my, the most important thing for me is people have you know good games at good tables with their yes, friends and tell yes. good stories and stuff like that. You know, um, I think for me, and it's and and I'm not saying this because I feel like I'm going to go running back to D and D like an ex you know girlfriend or something like that. Um, but for me, like I know 
I've been in corporate. Mm -hmm. I know corporate ownership. I know what pressure from upper executive and finance can mean to pretty much any project. Um, And there's nothing to say that people weren't getting pushed around and that there weren't possible shifts in management control uh, from Hasbro's side and from effectively the board of directors slash finance control. Sure. Um, That forced the hands of a lot of people who didn't want to be forced. And that could have been a long time coming Um, in just a series of events that led from this summer, which we kind of saw all the way out to this point where it was like, okay, you guys are killing this. No, we're not. We're going to make the, you know, this is the way things need to be. You guys needed to run this as a business. Like it used to be ran. And like, this has been running like a business. What the hell are you talking? We're doing fine financially. You guys needed us. Now you want us. This is very different. Mm. And it all turning around on their head while people basically crossed their arms at Wizards and went, okay, what would you like us to do next? Well, you should put out an announcement. You didn't tell us to. Well, this is, we're bleeding money. Oh, we are? Sounds like a you problem, not an us problem. We're just following orders. I just followed this memo right here that you sent me that said, screw our fan base. Hmm, that's very funny. I guess I'll just sit here and continue taking my check. I I mean, like, that... (laughs) That's all fine, but, you know, the Nuremberg defense does not necessarily cover it for me. Well, uh, and see... Because Hasbro is still there. Right. And can still pull some BS at any given time once they decide this this, this bed of coals has cooled off enough for them to try again. So, And, and that's that's where I think the next year of, of trust rebuild yeah. is going to be very hard for Wizards. And that's why I'm once bitten twice shy. That's yeah. just, no, just and simply I... because nothing... Yes, they've walked it back. Yes, we're arguably in a better place than we were, you know, three weeks ago. Yeah, but none of the nothing says that that can't happen again in the future in some sort of iteration. You know, you know, is is the next Sonic the Hedgehog gonna look like crap? Possibly. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But that was the same kind of situation. Is how quickly did they turn that around? But see, this is why I'm a pessimist, yeah. right? This is this is why I'm a doomsayer because if things turn out bad then I'm right, and I'm not surprised or blindsided by any of this stuff. That's and if fair. things turn out great, everything's better than expected, and I'm pleasantly surprised. Fair enough. Fair you know? enough. Get nothing, some honey for your... Uh, nothing, nothing sneaks up on your tea, me. So, yeah, so I'm ready to go here. Uh, right. And I will talk about my game. Yeah, we have we have talked like ten minutes already. Whatever. About... This is our show. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Listen, we're not here for the money. How'd your, uh, your game go this weekend? Um, Overall, I will say... Better than I expected because I was not in the right mind frame coming up to it. I felt you, under- dra- yeah, you dragged yourself to that table. Yeah, you know. And the thing was is that like I, the good news was it was part two, uh, or or, or technically part three of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the players were in motion, all the pieces were there. All I had to do was reconfigure a little bit based upon what you guys discussed with me. Um. In the previous session, like at the end of the previous session, we did our recap. I got the feeling of what you guys wanted. So I was like, okay, I am just going to filter through that uh, information and say, okay, what adjustments do I need to make? How do I need to, you know, move my way through this? And so I did that. You know, I took the time to say, okay, well, I know you guys want to split the party. Um, That was your decision to make at that time and create this, like, two-part attack where... Basically, you, your specific character, would kind of be in two places at the same time. 
mm-hmm. uh, to confuse the big bad guy that you've been looking to kick the ass of. Yeah, we have a rogue assassin with a disguise kit. So... Who did amazingly well. Let's do it. And that whole situation could have gone any number of ways, and they literally handled it professionally, quickly, and got in and out. Like, it was it was the cleanest op that I had seen. I had given them plenty of opportunities to do it different ways mm-hmm. and things that could have gone sideways and, and that just, it went flawless, right? And put them in a safe position. So then it was left to uh, the, the mage, or the, the, two, the two mages and the fighter to go get the other two individuals back um, who were at the said bad guy's house who wasn't there because of balls set in motion. Um, so it allowed you guys to step in, have some good fights, and create your own exit strategy of how you were going to get out of there. But it it ended in a way that I kind of anticipated, which was that you guys would exit uh, and maybe do a comeback kind of a situation. Uh, except you decided at the very last second not to take your own teleport. Yep. To walk away from the portal... And have a, 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 a the fighter join you because he wasn't going to leave you behind. Well, that was his choice, right? But, but that I was the thing. Him to. I told no. him, I told him to go through the portal, and he right. was like, "Not leaving you." Right. And so you just close the portal, and now you guys are there. Job wasn't done. Right. So not only was the party split, but you guys split it again <laughs> at the very end. Yeah. So from my perspective, at that point, I had realized that I had two players who had basically had. Very little gameplay. I gave them little bits of narrative gameplay so that they they were part of the story mm-hmm. and could prepare for when you guys arrived and be readied uh, for whatever was to come through because yep. they, they were expecting you. Um, and now I have an extended section because they have no idea. Yeah, they see they're on the receiving end of my portal, so they see that open up. They see the two people that we want to rescue. And they see the party, the one, mage of, one of the party's through, yeah. wizards come through, yep. and then the portal just closes. Yep. And the uh, the half-orc warrior and the other wizard don't make nowhere it. to be found. So, so it was my choice then at the end of that to have you guys show up here on Friday mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in two days uh, to just close that loop of the story. Yeah. Uh, and keep it separate from the other players. Now, I, I invited them. If anybody else wanted to come on Friday, they could show up on Friday and, and watch the show. Um, I mean, Vicky's going to be there. Um, but the whole point was that I wanted you guys to be able to close that loop, and we could decide, based on where that ends, how the next leg of the adventure goes. Mm-hmm. Because really, we're we're in a scene shift, right? Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is a yeah. movement at this point, but at the same time, I don't want to stop roleplay. Sure. I, if if the role play moment is there, you know any number of ways, you know everything from like the fighter carrying your lifeless body through a portal, mm-hmm. you know, or months later showing up somewhere and reconnecting with the group. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like that could happen. He he can't teleport. No, he can't. So, I'm his ticket home. Correct. You know, or worse, you coming back without him. Yeah. You know, and and what that means. So there's there's all kinds of events that could transpose a message spell, you know, of just I'm sorry. I don't even have it. I don't yeah. have sending. Right. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't say that it was you. So. Yeah, it's true. But there's so many little little elements that could happen, and I I'm excited for all of them for the story's sake. Yeah. And where we are within the story. So, but funny that we're doing a show about splitting the party and literally splitting happened. 
Right. And like happened hard. And a big split. Yeah. A huge split. Huge split. So um coming up to this part to to this, uh I I did the funny thing. I went on Reddit and I put in not even like in you know, D and uh, DM Academy or RP literally Reddit splitting the party. That's all I put in and searched. Mm-hmm. It was funny how almost every other thread was a reverse, back and forth. Splitting the party is awful. Splitting the party's fine, actually. Splitting you don't know how to split. The, yeah. Splitting the party is the best thing I ever did. You don't know <laughs> how to split the party. Splitting the party can be easy if you just follow these steps. You know, yeah. Like, brrr, but everybody was going back and forth about you're doing it wrong, regardless of how you're doing it. Yep. Yep. You know, but all of them had common comments. All of them. Like, even the ones that were, you know, this is how to do it right, mm-hmm. all seemed to follow the same thing. And always pretty much had the same common issues. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was like, at least in my mind frame coming up to this this show, is just like, you know, I think I know everything I need to know about splitting the party and handling it the proper way. What could I possibly learn by shoveling through the internet's, you know, scum bucket and filtering it to find out what's actually there? And went, huh. I do know quite a bit about this after yeah. all these years. <laughs> like, actually, I've had all these ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were a few things that I thought were really, really good explanations. Some mm-hmm. very funny commentary. Yeah, 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 yeah. But one interesting point from the OSR community kept coming back around, mm-hmm. and and so many times it was, uh, it just felt so, I don't know, I, I guess aggressive. Yeah. That like, yeah. DMs are just doing it wrong. Yeah. You know. So, so let's, let's, let's talk a bit about not, you know, don't split the party as a mantra. Yes. Age, age old mantra. Like I think anybody who's had any, uh, sort of experience with, uh, with Dungeons and Dragons has, has heard this at least once. Don't split the party. Never split the party. And, uh, uh, so we're, we're kind of here to disassemble that and just talk a little bit about like, should you do it? Can you do it? How do you do it without things going to crap, both in character and out of character? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things of the idea of divide is divide and conquer, but often in games, especially with a lot of mechanical components like D&D or even some of the OSR games, divide meant you were getting rid of your own resources and you were the one being conquered. Well, yeah, no, I mean, you, you... Divide and conquer is a great strategy for defeating an enemy. So if you do the divi- the dividing for them, yeah, all they have to do left is conquer. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and that's really where the whole don't split the party thing happens because you take the healer away from the mage, you take the mage away from the warrior. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and Hands Across America did teach us when we were kids: together we stand, divided we fall. Well, exactly, exactly. And, and if you're old enough to know that song ringing in your head right now. You can still play, keep playing D anD. I think I do. Um. So yeah, I mean, it, what can go wrong there? Uh, you've got a lack of synergy and resources. Um. You know, your party isn't together to work together. A lot of times, it's because the healer's gone. Honestly, it's whichever team doesn't have the healer is going to die. I mean, there's um, a lot of. There, I mean, at the same time, you've got crowd control is a thing. Oh sure, 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 sure. You know, I, but those are situational. There, there's, there's, there's a, there's a dozen ways it could fall apart. I'm just pontificating on it, especially since it did come from D and D. You've got certain yeah. ingrained mechanics. You know, um. <laughs> The the other big thing is like uh, 
and I think this is probably the the OSR comment you were you were referring to earlier. Um, is it storytellers who don't adjust their account encounters? Yes. For a split party, can and do wipe groups yes. easily. And and there were so many people posting like, oh, you're not a good DM if you if you change your encounters after the fact. Like that doesn't happen realistically. Like, those monsters will be there regardless of if it's two or four of them. Right. And so we have a... It, it, it's, it's, it's good that that comment gets made because it illustrates a separation in storytelling styles between um, more narrative, more, um, hey, everybody, we're just trying to have fun style gameplay that Rob and I prefer mm-hmm. and that we try to encourage here on Storyteller Conclave. Yeah. Um, and, like, OSR, hardcore, you're going to make it through this dungeon on your own blood, sweat, and tears. You know, if I have to drag you kicking and screaming through it, or maybe you'll die. And if With, you die, that's, yeah, that's get your own character, fault, start you know? it over. Yeah. Rub some dirt in it and roll up a new character. <laughs> um, and I'm just I'm just not into that. But, but, but there is the OSR community is out there. They are valid. They are having There's... fun. We're not here to sell them not to have fun. No. But for the style of gameplay that we at Storyteller Conclave prefer and are trying to teach... It's in our name. It's It's in our name. Yeah. We're Storyteller Conclave, not Dungeon Grind, you know, Conclave. That's a totally different podcast. Go listen to it. It's got heavy metal. Right. Um, And we love those people. They deserve to be part of Tabletop. We are not saying that that is not valid. Heckin' valid. But, disclaimers aside, though... Mm The people who do that uh, don't know what quantum ogres are. No. Uh, We've talked about them here before. We will get a little bit into it, but essentially um, we'll get into a little more in detail. We've talked about it on the the show before, but it's uh, basically um, moving and or changing your encounters as the narrative needs it to be. So nothing is set in stone. Those ogres are in a quantum state. They don't need to be in that room. They don't need to be in the number they are. They don't even need to be ogres. Mm-mm. They can be anything you need them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, one of the big things that can go wrong, and this is not an in-character thing, this is an out-of-character thing, is, you know, obviously players become bored doing nothing for long periods of time. Yeah, especially if, like, half of your group is the tactical group and the other half is the talky group. Mm-hmm. You know, and you split it that way. Like... Like a party scene where one group is going in and doing the espionage break-in thing, and the other group is literally out in the ballroom hobnobbing. Something we have done not once, but twice. If I, if I had a nickel for every time you guys didn't use that plan, but I'd have a... two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but the point is, is that, like, a lot of times when you get to the tactical section, things slow down to a crawl, and you kind of stop listening because you're not involved. Yeah. If you're not in the combat, why are you even caring? It's a lot like I mean, it's slow and it's crunchy in a lot of in a lot of game systems, D D especially, you know, yeah. like and it's a little bit like watching somebody take a math test for forty five minutes. You know? Yeah. Um, cause you're, you're counting squares, you're measuring distances, you're rolling dice and adding numbers. And it's, well, I do, th- I rolled a 15 to hit. I do 35 damage. Okay. Let me do some quick subscribe subscription your subtraction here. Mm-hmm. Um, let me do some reverse math. Um, and it's not even as like, it's not even like waiting for the NASCAR accident to happen. Right. 
but effectively, that's what it is. The only time of excitement is when something terrible happens, and everybody at the table goes, "Oh God, what what just happened? Oh yeah. Lord!" And then like it has to be explained. Natural to them. twenty. Oh, suddenly I'm paying attention for the next fifteen seconds. Cool. Right. That was right. a lot of damage. Okay, and back to scrolling you could my say phone. like people yep. should be more involve more RP in their fighting. Sure, but not everyone's capable of that. Sure. Not everyone is going to be flamboyant and and descriptive of how they're cleaving or firing off spells or explaining their actions in some narrative way. And arguably, that prolongs combat. Without a doubt. And so if your goal is to just get through this quickly so that you can get to also tending to the other group and giving them equal time... The more description you throw into it, the longer everything's just going to take, and you're almost delaying the inevitable. So, yeah. um, and uh, we we did see a great you pulled a great quote from Reddit. Um, unfortunately, I don't know why we didn't have a posting attribution there, but it was uh, even if you balance time perfectly, each player only has half the time to contribute to the scene. Exactly, and they know that they feel that. Yeah, like they're they're even the even the best chads at your table are going to balance their time against the other people at the table. Yeah. And that's half. Mm -hmm. It's going to be half. Yeah. Not even like they get their full time because they're not in the room. And I think as storytellers, we're we're very conscious of that. I know. Mm -hmm. I know. I know you are. And I know I am of like, oh, God, I felt really bad about, you know, how today went because I feel like, you know, X player and Y player didn't get any time to do anything tonight. Yep. Yep. You know, and in spite of them looking in the eye, you know, and doing what we're doing, Roses and Thorns. They looked me in the eye and said, I had a great time today. I don't care that I only got to play for, you know, an hour out of our five hours together. Mm-hmm. I still feel bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you always think about, like, what can I do in the next adventure yeah. se- segment to bring them back into the light? Right. Right. But that's not always up to you because they may not step out, even if you write it properly. Yeah. It's up yep. to them. So you can split the party. And maybe you should, mm-hmm. if you keep certain concerns in mind. And okay. this was pretty much the universal statements that everybody was making. Yeah, yeah. New and old storytellers alike. Uh, so first off, splitting the party is a typically a tactically bad thing to do, but not so bad narratively. No, I think it, it, it almost shines better narratively. It's, it's yeah, I, I've got some personal experiences I will be sharing a little bit towards the end of this section here, but... um. Uh, narrative games have a, lo- a lot lower lethal consequences most of the time, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, whereas, uh, in fact, it was, it was kind of funny, uh, Knox in the Box in our live chat actually posted a gif of, uh, uh, some Scooby-Doo characters talking about, uh, splitting the party. <laughs> Let's split up, gang! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and five minutes later, they're like, what'd you expect was gonna happen? Not a TPK! Yeah. Uh, you know, you always hear that, that's gonna be, oh, if we split the party, we're all gonna die. Well, what if death isn't a consequence that's really on the table? And realistically, in D&D, it's not. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's not. It's not. But there's all kinds of ways to get around it. At the same time, it's the thing that's sitting in your head every time you play D&D. Yep. It's either a 100% chance or pretty much never. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the two things. And there's no middle ground there, which is really odd Mm -hmm. for a system that has... A, a set of hit points that go from zero up constantly. Yeah, yeah. And only get bigger. So when you have narrative scenes that give you consequences and solutions versus death or life 
Yeah. You, as a group, can feel more available to communicate your scenes mm-hmm. and involve them. Um, and people... usually, both your consequences and your solutions are going to lead to story advancement one way or another. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's not going to be... The, the inevitable conclusion isn't, oh, I failed, everyone pulls guns now, and everything slows down to bullet time. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's it's more like Ocean's Eleven, where you've got thirteen people doing different things, each getting thirty thirty to sixty seconds to explain what they're doing, make a quick roll, and go, "Oh yeah, okay, mm-hmm. it worked." Uh oh, or you know that was stupendous, and something happens. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's your three options. It's really easy. Mm-hmm. It feels good, in fact, and kind of comical, and allows people a lot more expression about yeah. what they're doing. Exactly. Um. This kind of steps back into that narrative aspect of Quantum Ogres Mm -hmm. in the sense that because you're no longer putting immediate death on the table, it it's not so much for balance, but for flow control. Right. You can allow things to get readjusted. Um, And and it's the whole concept. And the, the one quote we pulled where somebody made the statement that splitting the party is very bad because only a good DM would never readjust the encounter to fit the party. Right. I think that's a load of turds. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, again, if you're not playing an OSR-style game, I kind of get it if you're playing OSR. One of the big reasons I don't personally enjoy yeah. OSR is yeah. because that's the mentality of, like, there's ogres in this room, deal with it. You know. Yeah, it it is very much not a story-based game at that mm-hmm. point. It is just a run through whatever and run that whatever with your sword. But, I mean, keeping in mind that, you know, I mean, I I play with the Heroes Never Die special rule Mm -hmm. in, you know, in my Savage Worlds game where, you know, death isn't even an option unless the player agrees to it. So, I mean, already right there, what am I going to threaten you guys with? A bad time. Consequences. (laughs) You know, yeah. a bad time. Yeah. I've got to be a lot more creative. It doesn't matter if I pare down the ogres in the room nope. because the interesting thing isn't going to be an ogre pounding your, you know, pounding your your your, your flesh into paste. Mm-hmm. It's going to be where does the story go because of what's in that room, right? You know? So then that, so now that you've we, we've basically thrown out the concept of balance and fairness within the fight. We have to focus on the the elements that really are the point, which is what we talked about. When you get to something tactical, the point is attention. Keeping the attention of the players with to their characters and within the story. Mm-hmm. And making sure that all parts, be it split in the party equal halves, get equal time so that nobody feels like they're not participating. You know, it's the meanwhiles that bounce back and forth between them. In my game, I had... You both of you guys going back and forth, adjusting the timing, seeing when things were going to fall into place, and then the one group decided, like, well, we haven't heard from them, but it is our opportunity to go, so we're going to go. Yeah. And like, whoop, you make it back. Yep. Okay. They threw in a few elements for me, which was great, and allowed me to have a little extra role play with them and bounce some of that role play story back and forth a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to you guys, I made, I made it a point that you guys were going to be advancing into the story and then suddenly like i had an idea that there was going to be these skill checks kind of that would bring you up 
to the point where an encounter could happen and you guys would alert them and the event would occur. But once their event was over, it was like, okay, well, I don't need to do that now. Now I just need to focus on moving you guys through the tactical in such a way that it feels exciting and tense. Yep. Yep. And so instead of worrying about every little thing, I only worried about the points of, have you been detected? What could get you detected? Mm -hmm. And played with what was in the space. Sure. Um, so keeping the attention of the other party members to your story was part of the interest there. And doing the dramatic cutaways, like opening the first door with brute force because you didn't have a rogue with you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like easing your way in and deciding how you were going to step into that first situation. And where you were going to go once you were inside the door, mm -hmm. you know, and then cutting away immediately, like to the other group. Okay, you guys are comfortable. You're getting some things set up. The you know you're setting out a banquet, you know, and things yep. like that. Well, meanwhile, cutting back, like, all right, you guys have made your way up these staircases. Another doorway in front of you, and it leads to an empty room. But this empty room has X. Oh, okay, and like gets you a feeling for what kind of space you're in, where you're at. Like we need to find this little girl and that tension step to finding her. Mm -hmm. Um now one of the things that I deliberately did was I I had picked carefully uh and set up the situation for you guys and kind of made a mistake. I had given you guys images of where my character was and I think this fits into the attention was the other players were remembering details. Mhm. Mm of visions that happened five adventures ago. Yeah. And you so know, now... We have, a, we have a diviner wizard. We've actually gotten eyes inside yeah. that place a couple times. Yeah. But it wasn't just that player. It was everyone at the table pulling elements together. Yeah. And I I was like, okay, I need to keep this... In, like, I could have put that child anywhere in that space. Right, right. But instead, now I deliberately had to make sure, because you guys were looking carefully at the layout to figure out what room she would be in sure sure and so i had to keep that so i, I had to have one quantum ogre in a specific place <laughs> you know but to keep the attention and the detail right right and that's one of the things that you you have to add in that suspense element is if you have everyone's attention because they're feeding into it keep that element a little bit lit mm -hmm. and hold them and it it works it really does yeah absolutely absolutely uh, I will say for me, um, like, uh, switching over to Savage Worlds actually made uh, splitting the party a lot easier for me. It was remarkable the night and day shift it was that, that it made for my storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of wanted to share a little bit about why that difference took place now that I've played Savage Worlds for, you know, for a little over a year now, I think. Yeah. Um, we've gotten several uh, several game sessions in with it, and, and we can kind of stress test it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, like, first off, it was, a, it was a big shift from tactical to narrative. Um, the main reason we switched over to Savage Worlds was because it felt like every situation in Dungeons & Dragons was just, how do I turn this into a tactical battle? Right. Or what, more accurately probably, what shenanigans can I pull to keep it from folding into a tactical battle? Yeah. Um, and will that be any fun because 90% of the rules are about how to do tactical battles and everything else feels like window dressing. You know? And what was interesting and kind of in a layered comment with that is that even at my table, I was saying that I was having, like I was talking to everyone about like, well, I know how hard this was to, you know, and, and some of the concepts I have in the future of making, of how I can keep D&D &D exciting when moments like this happened. Mm -hmm. You know, 
short of not playing D&D. And everyone at the table went, like, we don't have to play D&D. We don't have to follow those rules. Yeah. And that is the truth, is that you don't. Once you step into narrative, you kind of have carte blanche. D&D doesn't say that you can't do something. Yeah, it just says, if this situation unfolds, here's some rules you can use to adjudicate it. Exactly. And Savage World kind of helps you adjudicate whatever you need to. Yeah, it's the the great thing that I liked about Savage Worlds was that it it really puts it out there as like combat is a thing you can do and when it happens here's how you handle it. Yeah. But like it still kind of follows a lot of the same structure as a lot of the other things and so you can absolutely handle it as just a dramatic task mm-hmm. if you want and make fighting rolls and if they fail them they take a wound, you know. <laughs> Sort we of things. had something recently that this triggered real quick, and I, I'm sorry to step off it, but it was in our thread, in I think it was in our links, um, the screenshot of a section of book that had a very visceral description of basically like pulling oh, yeah. a gun and shooting Techno somebody. Technolich posted it. Um, yeah. It was, I forgot what game system it was, but yeah, it had this real visceral description of, of like, how violent and awful combat was. And then at the end of it, the, they were like, but you know, if, if you still want to. Here's but a, but, here's but how you it did it. that, but it's like, here's all the other things you can do. Walk away. Negotiate. Give up something. Yeah. And it literally Surrender. It presents the players mm-hmm. other ways to think about something other than a video game. Yeah, exactly. But it does at the very end say, but if you really do want to shoot somebody, here are the rules to shooting somebody. Yeah, and yeah. it was, it's kind of like throwing the back, and I feel Savage World has that feeling. It kind of does. Um, I mean, first off, like the, the the whole heroes never die thing for me was was a great move because um, it lowers the stakes of combat, mm-hmm. and therefore it it kind of um, I don't know, it almost disincentivizes it in a in a sense in that there's lower stakes for it. You know, I I don't know. I I, I don't I don't, I don't think really... it's necessarily that it's lower stakes because like it's. It is fast, furious fun. Yeah. And I think the furious part really weighs. That if you want to get in, it's basically telling you, we're not saying this is this is simul this isn't Milsim. Mm-hmm. But what we are saying is, is that we've geared this to feel like it should when you get furious. Yeah, yeah. That things happen. And they happen quickly. They do. They happen quickly. Yeah. And that's that's the key to this is that if you really tear it down to its combat section, it feels OSR. In 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 its, if you want to get into combat, the mechanics are there to basically make you feel like you may need a new character or a new set of pants. Oh, it does. That's one of the biggest criticisms is it's very spiky and very lethal because of it. You right. Know? But the point is, is that mm-hmm. you shouldn't. And yeah. It's trying to teach you that yeah. the system is very much teaching that in a different in a narrative sense. And I like that. I like that very much. Well, the, the the big thing for me, I think, was the shift from, first off, Benny's, um, g- g- from leaning into your hindrances, yes. I think, enhanced RP a lot. You know? Yes, I agree. Instead of always looking for the most optimal way to play your character, um, because, you know, losing that might mean death. You know, so you never want to be greedy or self-sacrificial or mm-hmm. mean or whatever you're always right. looking, your your survival of your character is always on your mind well in savage worlds like if you play a hindrance you get a benny out of it there's mm-hmm. a you know maybe i do want to tell this guy to f off because it says that i'm mean and arrogant on my sheet you know yeah. or maybe i don't want to catch up with this guy because i'm old yeah exactly <laughs> let, let, let him get away but i'll take a benny for it yeah you know exactly cool exactly um 
combine that then when you've got a classless system, okay? You've got no character classes, and therefore you can make a lot better rounded characters not being pigeonholed into you are the big dumb fighter, you know? Yeah. Um, And then a lot for more well-rounded characters allows you to be competent in more areas than your class would have allowed, mm-hmm. okay? One of the very first things you did when we when we switched over to Savage Worlds, you're like, I'm the cleric. I want to go see the Thieves' Guild. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Typically, that would be the rogue's job if we were still playing D&D. But sure, you're just a dude now. Let's mm-hmm. go see the Thieves' Guild, you know? Yeah. I mean, I might take somebody else with me because it's a smart thing to do. Sure, someone who knows the lay of the land down there, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, but the fact was you felt confident to do that. Um, Our fighter, our quote-unquote big dumb fighter, took the fame edge because mm-hmm. he wanted to be a local hero for all the philanthropy and, and, and you know, work that he does with, like, the blue-collar dudes, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I see my players branching out into a lot of different areas and being a lot more comfortable just, just role-playing, mm-hmm. you know? And just having fun instead of thinking, like, I'm the fighter. What does the fighter do? Right. Now they're conceiving of themselves as an actual like person in the world rather I, than just a job ju- job description. So here's where I think we can step into the next frame and that is is that once your players stop feeling like a role and start playing who they are, mm-hmm. role playing metagaming kind of slides in. And that is is that your your players and by extension their characters care about each other. They yes. get to know each other. Yes. They make they start doing fun things together and getting those little kibitz moments. This means that they are together. They are a unit. And in that, even separated, they communicate. Now, I'm not saying that they're using radios and asking for assistance and things like that. I am literally thinking about the person who's hiding behind the wall, wishing that their friend was there going, okay. What would they tell me to do right now? Mm-hmm. How how should I handle this? And the little angel pops on one shoulder and says, stay behind cover. Don't peek your head out. Make your way to the exit. Meanwhile, the other person pops up and it's the tiny fighter going, mess them up. <laughs> like, and yep. at the table, that's what they're telling you. That's yeah. what the player sitting across from you is shouting at you. It's like, dude, you got this. Go get him. Just go tear him down, you know? Yeah, for, for, me, for me, table talk is always like, a lot of people decry it as metagaming. Um, I don't think it is. No. Like, I, I really think that like table talk is, is one of those great things in a game. Because first off, it keeps everybody at the table involved. But second off, yes. it it really, like, you always have to remember that, like, your character is a real person who lives in this world 24-7. Not you, who literally does it once a week, once, once a, a month. Once a week, once a month, has a lot of other things in your mind, and you only do it for a couple hours at a time, mm-hmm. uh, and only so well if you didn't remember to eat a valid lunch that morning, you know, that, that exactly. afternoon, or whatever, right. you know? Right, All sorts of things that can that can just break your your ability to stay in that character and be fully immersed in the fiction. Mm-hmm. So, like, having somebody give you a good idea from across the table... Or just remind you. Yeah, exactly. And and the other thing, too, is, like, uh, we used to play, uh, you know, Aberrant. Yeah. And in Aberrant, you've got mega intellectual characters. Yeah. Literally, mega intelligence is yep. a stat, yeah. you know? And I to envision that, it's literally the mega stat that goes, like, the analog to mega strength which is like i pick up a car and throw it at you right okay now imagine that on an intellectual level right okay albert einstein moron 
a simpleton <laughs> could barely tie his own shoes compared to what you can do with Mega Intel Intelligence 1. Fascinating. <laughs> How do you roleplay that? Yeah. Technically, you, like... Well, you don't you, go in a land war with China. Well, yeah, you never engage in a land war in Asia. But <laughs> only second to that yes. is never play a mega intelligence character if you can't role play it. You know, nobody can. You physically cannot think like a, like a mega intelligent character. No. So, honestly, my house rule is just everybody at the table. Just yeah. give them ideas. Yeah. Because it makes th- being having five minds all contributing to the possibilities that that person can explore yep. is the only way I can think to even come close to simulating the mental agility that somebody like that would have. You yeah. know, I, I say the same for combat masters. Like you're not a combat master mm-hmm. more than likely. Like we have the rare occasion that literally at your table, the fighter has done some fighting physically. Mm-hmm. Like, he's gone sword and board, he's used axes and clubs and things like that in sure. the past. But across from him is a dude who literally studied multiple martial arts, weapons training, and actively fights in longsword competition kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, just having someone else sitting there going, hey, you know, you could do this, is that fighter going, oh yeah, like in that eighth of a second right. in their mind. Right. And that's, again, that's that meta stretching through, that, that those thoughts of that character kind of pulling through. Yeah. Either absolutely. through prior memories or things like that, but it's it's helping the table. And yes, very much so, keeping everybody engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, and this is, this is the part that, that kind of gets me, is that everyone in Reddit said that the reason why parties die is the boredom and the split of attention. So it's either you die by not having anyone engaged and forcing them to death mm-hmm. by keeping all of the things in your rule set and your dungeon the way it is, or by literally having the boredom kill the table into yeah. oblivion. Now, I read some funny other ways to cover it, but I don't agree with any of them. For instance, one person stated, oh, I literally just tell two of the player, you know, the two players who are not there to go play on the Switch for a while so they don't know what's going on. What? Go play another game was their idea. It was to literally just remove them from the equation. Thank you for showing up to my role-playing game today. Uh, For your part in it, you're not going to be playing the role-playing game today. Exactly. Exactly. And another person said, every time I've ever split the party, basically everyone goes to their phones. Yeah. Except the one person that I'm talking to, yeah, who may be part of a group, and I'm like, okay, your your group is doing something wrong. Then mm-hmm. you've lost engagement well before the party split. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the the question that remains is, how do you bring that back into the fold based on what we've got? And we kind of addressed it in the sense that we you need to keep the parties interacting. And I think one of the best ways to do this, and it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah, sure. Is that during the active interaction that they're doing, add components that play off the other team's work efforts. Yeah. I mean, a lot of crew stories work like this, by which I mean, like, Leverage, Ocean's Eleven, you know, teams working all in concert. Um, I know uh, one of our our questions, a little spoiler alert for Mm -hmm. our question section, mentions Shadowrun, you know, very much in, like, that's a crew game. Yeah. You assemble a crew to do the job. Yep. You know? 
it's it's roles but in a different way your 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 people fill a role not based on necessarily their direct abilities that they're going to fill every time mm-hmm. they're filling a role within the events that are about to transpire exactly. that are going to bounce off each other we need a pickpocket to pickpocket this thing who gives it to the grifter who will pass it off as a as a as another thing right who will sneak it into the vault where our lockbreaker will you know etc yeah. etc cetera, etc cetera, et cetera. you know all while the security expert has disabled and or remapped things to hide our trail the entire way exactly while our face keeps the vip to distracted and doesn't notice any of this is going yeah. on under his nose yeah until the last second when they get the item in their hand that they can then present right as if it was always there in the vault exactly you know? so you know what is the face doing while the pickpockets doing their job well hopefully listening intently and enjoying the story right you know but it is an instance where you've split the party in fact you split the party in multiple different places there everybody's doing mm-hmm. their own independent job but everybody's dependent on each other. Exactly. So the success of the pickpocket denotes how easily the grifter is going to have their job, and then mm-hmm. that is going to you know determine it's a what baton the face movement. is doing. Yeah, yeah, it's a passing a baton sort of thing. Yep. I, I love that. Again, exceptionally hard to do, mm-hmm. but you have to change failure to consequences in your mind frame at every time. Yes. Yes. Um. The. the the big thing is is that you want to reduce however you end up implementing this okay okay you want to your goal is to reduce the sense that any one party is idle while the other is active yeah okay even if they're just listening intently and not actually doing anything not rolling dice not making decisions it's still important for a crew that is working in concert to listen to what happened to the other team so that they have information to act upon. And and I'm going to say that be careful within this, that the, the you force them to listen. It mm-hmm. is not a forced listen. It's you want to make sure that their attention is there. People have a hard time envisioning things. Sure. Especially when someone else is doing it and it's in their mind's eye, not this other player's. Mm-hmm. So sometimes one of the best things you can do as the storyteller is reiterate the story. Mm-hmm. Change the perspective ever so slightly to the event versus the person doing the event. Show the perspective of what something else is seeing, the way that's being seen, maybe by in general. Yeah. So that the next person is there to be able to pick that up and and move on with it and and can ask the questions of like, did I did I miss something? Did this just happen? You know, kind of a step. No, and I want to go back to what you said earlier about. Um... You know, like having the other party leave the leave the the room mm-hmm. and go do something else so that they won't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I I think I used to kind of be like that. Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, you you really want to like, you know, have that have that illusion that like you really would have no idea, and you you know, I want your your reactions to be authentic and raw and stuff like that. But like. I've really come around full circle on that one. Right. Um, and I think what actually changed my mind on that was uh, Matt Mercer. Yeah. Um, early on, I want to say in campaign two. Sure. Okay. Uh, there were a couple like dream sequences where he had everyone except for one character get up from the table mm-hmm. and leave. Mm-hmm. And then he he had this dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did this a couple times. And uh, uh he was asked in one interview about that and like why he did that or or how he felt that went or something. 
And his answer was essentially like, if I could go back and do it again, I wouldn't have had people leave. Yeah. Because they're all players in this game. Mm-hmm. And whereas, yeah, okay, they wouldn't know it actually happened. I trust my players not to pull that information in into their characters. Mm-hmm. And I've essentially just told six of my friends not to play the game that they showed up for yeah. and enjoy the story that was being told. Right. They didn't get to hear my narration. No. They didn't get to see Travis's reaction to his dreams. Nope. They didn't, you know, they didn't get to feel that fear and trepidation of just being a fly on the wall in that, you know, mm-hmm. in that scene. It, whether their characters were experiencing it or not. Right. You're robbing the players of that experience. Yeah, it's one of the things that I'm worried about a little on Friday. But at the same time, I'm going to be recording it on a DAT recorder. Sure. And sure. Play, pacing it for the other group to be able to, the rest of the group to be able to listen because I want them to be able to enjoy it if they want. Well, also, I mean, that that's a, that's a you know, a five-minute narration. Right. Versus... Uh, we have to go finish an entire adventure with literally two people separated from hundreds of miles. Right. With no way to get to one another. You know, right. you would be having four of your, three of your players show up and literally sit there and listen. Yeah. So. And in an ultra to that, which is the thing I did years ago with my 7C game, where I had one player who was having a dream sequence that everyone else was involved in. Mm-hmm. Actively got to play their character's as if it was a real thing, because it was it was basically future sight. It was divination that was going on, and then snapping back and restarting the session back as if they had just woken up and realized they had gone through the whole thing. And everyone played along with me on that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that felt so good to watch, and everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. Everyone was involved with it, and it's those types of moments that I always find. I guess way more valuable because everyone feels the, the, the tension of like, I am playing a part in something. Yeah, sure. And that's what you want. You want that engagement. You want uh-huh. that interaction. You want to sell it. I'm not saying you can do that every single time. And, and for God's sakes, do not, not if, unless it's exceptionally long, don't give your players NPC characters to play through a scene uh, or or two, just to make sure that they're rolling dice and things. They don't want to do that. Yeah, they're not invested in that character. That feels like filler work. Right. So, unless it's it's literally like their character's out of commission for a period of time, and you want them to have some involvement, and they're like, hey, do you mind if I play that NPC? Yeah. Sure, hand it to them at that point. Right. But don't give them a job. Yeah, yeah. Let them enjoy the situation and feel the drama of their character and the weight of what's going on Mm -hmm. because it will change it. Yeah. Uh, I've seen way too many times like, oh, yeah, whenever anybody's around, you know, not around or I split the party, I'll run it as two adventures and anybody who shows up just gets gets one of my NPCs. That's like, so you give them a job. Yeah. Okay, that hurts. Yeah. It hurts me on a story level. (laughs) And, like, as a a storyteller, that also, like, I can't imagine giving away one of my NPCs to somebody because, like, all my NPCs have their own purposes and and narration and stuff like that. Like, I I don't – I wouldn't trust another person to play that NPC. I I did for for part of my game because I wanted a different voice. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think that it – for me, it was like, I want this person to come from a point of – of so so indifference that they're like, I I remember you, but like a dream, mm-hmm. and so I I put that through, yeah, and and kind of and I had I had even this villain set up to be somebody other than me, mm-hmm. and 
the legitimate reason why I had a friend to come was going to be coming to play that character was because I wanted you to be able to kill that person without looking at me across the table. I'll kill you. I, I understand. No, that. that's fine. I will. I will kill you. I have no problem with that. <laughs> I don't. The visceral point of connection there needed to be broken for me for a moment. We're obviously going to get through it on Friday, but that's then. But it was one of those things where I just needed that. I wanted to see what that break was going to be like for once. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, this wasn't my BBEG. This is just, this is a, a quest villain, if you will, a side story villain. Yeah. Who who has effectively very little weight in the overall story. But he's, uh, but he's my BBEG. But he's your BBEG right now. Yes. So, yes, <laughs> yes. Um. So one of the other things that we had we had kind of kicked around, and it was something that I, I found uh, the two of us kind of going back and forth on a little bit more, is the concept that, especially when you have the split party and you have consequences, not necessarily failures, mm -hmm. it is nothing to say that you can't change the scene. Yeah. When a fireball comes into the room and is close to your players, you, you cut away. It's okay to go to the other group. And when you come back, the scene has changed. Mm -hmm. It happens in every movie, every TV show, every action flick. You see the people getting blown out the window into the water. Yeah, and it's, then it cuts. It's not so much of a keep the act, keep the idle party involved, as much as a get the idle party back together. Mm -hmm. um, you can take narrative leaps to get the split part of the parties past the, the split. Yeah. Um, and I felt like a great example of that was was going to be like, you know, you got uh, like your party is fighting on a, on a ship. Mm -hmm. OK, um, half of them are fending off pirates or whatever above deck um, and half of them are searching for a MacGuffin below deck. Mm -hmm. OK, someone throws a fireball. It does a lot of large amount of damage. The, the storyteller decides to seize on this and say, OK, there's a massive explosion bigger than you thought was going to happen and scene. Mm hmm. Well, what happens? Do we roll damage? Do we, do we do okay. It's 45 minutes later. The ship is still aflame, but most of it's sunk under the waves by now. The whole party, MacGuffin in hand, is rowing away on a rowboat right now. You've got what you came for, but the ship is lost and you are adrift at sea. Now what are you guys going to do? Right. You know? Um, and it's, it's, it's dramatic... It takes a massive skip in the uh, in in the story, but it gets everybody back together, and it is uh, suitably bombastic, I think, for mm -hmm. a f kind of fade to black yeah. situation. Um, another one that came to me was the, the in the in the 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 team, the crew mm -hmm. kind of situation. If someone has a failure, maybe the security guy loses control of the system. Sure, there's nothing to say that one of the components, as it as the person, you know, hands off things from the elevator shaft, falls away. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, now the elevator's taking them somewhere else. They're out of the scene. Like, removing components to get yourself faster to the, the finish, but without removing agency. Yeah. Let the plot agency continue. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that player agency and, and, you know, hard moves like that can't happen, but it's a consequence and domino effect. You're heightening the tension as it comes to the close. Yeah. 
And yeah. that's the other component that you want. You want that moment where the, the person has to make the decision between fighting the bad guy and just grabbing the skull and diving overboard. Mm -hmm. You know, or, you know, grabbing that MacGuffin and diving overboard and then looking at everybody else like, okay, did we get it? And he comes up out of the water with it in his hand. He's like, okay, we're good. And he gets pulled onto the boat, the other boat, and you row away. Yep. Staring at the BBEG who's still with the flames behind him staring at you like, I'll get you next time. Like, this isn't over. And yeah. you're like, it is for the moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and those feelings can carry. Like, those stories can carry. And there's nothing to say, especially with, like, um, Savage World, that an interlude can't explain how you survived. Sure, sure. Like, again, leave the blank space. It's there for story. I've got three bennies. Who wants to tell me the first part of the story of how you guys made it to shore and survived being adrift at sea? Boom. Who gets the next Benny? You know? Exactly. <laughs> yep. I I applaud those kinds of moments. So it's it's about keeping the drama mm -hmm. and the story and allowing for agency points, but not removing the reason why they're moving forward. They move the story forward. Yeah, exactly. There's a consequence, but they move the story forward. You want to get to questions? Of course. Alrighty. So Nevim, as usual. Uh, Thank you peppered us with questions we have when splitting the party should all the players stay in the same room even if their characters are not yeah i think we covered this one uh absolutely I will say yes yes i absolutely want all of their participation they're part of the game let them at least listen to the story out of character even if they're not participating in character and one of the things that i was going to say that i forgot and i'm glad the question came back up to remind me was that often reintegrating them costs you more time yeah. and and energy yeah because now you have to remember, they have to try and compare and put stuff together, and that can be very stressful. You repeat yourself a lot less. You know, if you're talking about, like, okay, you see a man walk in, he's got a big scar across his eye, blah, 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 you give him a full description of this dude, and then... In the next scene, when the character who wasn't present for that sees the same character, you can be like, you see this man with a scar of his eye, oh, yeah, 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 the guy who stabbed John. Cool. I know. Who this, right. I, I, I know. You already right. described him. I've already got a very visceral or visceral idea as a player what he looks like. So now I can put my character in that situation. Yeah. You don't need to describe him to me again. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, one of the best ways that, that I, I like about this is that by having him in the same room, the story becomes the players are part of the plot. Mm -hmm. You know, when the when the bad guy tries to walk by someone who wasn't in the scene, they notice them. Mm -hmm. Whereas they walk by an NPC, mm. you know, it's the it's the guy in the policeman's office, you know, police officer's disguise, trying to sneak his way out of the police precinct. As he walks by all the NPC cops, they're busy worrying about somebody breaking out of their cell, mm -hmm. not this guy. And then you know you're your investigator who's going to go talk to the chief about this guy kind of turns and looks at the one guy who's not doing what everyone else is doing. That's your player who wasn't part of the scene with the chief. Who's now locked to cuffed to his desk in his office. Mm -hmm. You know that it's that moment so that, you know, there's a different feeling to it. That's yeah. what makes them a character. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so yes. Uh, how to avoid having a, uh, having bored players when the party is split? Um, investment. <laughs> yeah, well, mostly mostly investment. Um, mostly in focusing on enter entertainment. You know, keep things moving. Keep them involved in the table talk and the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, making making their actions meaningful across the line. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's hard. It doesn't always work out. But there are things you can do where they're interconnected. 
there are things you can do where jokes are interconnected. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, dude, I would so want to punch him in there. Would you like some more punch? You know, and you just cut and people are like, oh, that's cute. That's cute. Nice, yeah. Nicely done. Nicely done. You know, and things like that, it, it can sometimes bring it in. Again, it's not always easy to do that. But where you can find bridge points where they can connect across, you know, or give advice or things like that, that keeps them involved in the story. Uh, and then should I stop the players from splitting the party? I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's ever a good idea to actively tell the players that they can't do a thing. Um, that's where you start straying into railroading. Um, I think sometimes though, players overthink things. And there have been a couple times at my table, specifically, I have had to look a certain player in the eye and tell that player, who is looking very shifty and a little abashed right now in front of me, that, um... It's gotten better. You know, we've, at, we've been at this for an hour and a half, and your solutions to a very minor problem have escalated to maybe we should poison the city's water supply. I did make that comment once. Uh, and maybe... We need to just wheel it back and realize that we have overthought this and that the solution is much, much simpler. May I make a suggestion? These are the facts you are operating on right now. <laughs> All that being said, um, I'm going to take it from a different angle and say this. If you are a new storyteller, there is nothing to nothing wrong with looking at your group and saying, hey, I'm not comfortable being able to run a split party. I don't think I would do it well. Can you guys try not to do it this time for me? I'm new at this. That is okay. That is perfectly okay. You are going to make mistakes as a new storyteller. You are going to, to, to have things. And being able to be honest with your players and saying, I, I don't know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. And if I do it this way, uh, you guys have to be patient with me because I'm really going to be struggling through this. Sure. But if they're sure. confident, like, no, we want to do this for the story and we'll work with you. Then take your first steps into it. Toe into the water as softly as you can. Yeah, absolutely. But, but communicate. Be honest. Be open about those feelings. You have the right to be scared stepping into that situation. I think that's a great answer. Uh, all right, so Overwatch asks, uh, some games, <coughs> Shadowrun, <coughs> are notorious for sp splitting the party even when they are together. That is true. Do you have any tricks for keeping the flow of the game and the table going in situations where you have stuff like three different groups of characters running parallel in three different realities all at the same time? So sometimes you're a hacker in the Matrix. Sometimes you're a shaman in the spirit world. And sometimes you're a, a, a gun bunny cutting down a bunch of guards yep the best way that i've ever seen it and i will say it was uh overwatch who did this um was running near linear moments now keep in mind that as a matrix runner you were running at about six times the speed in your actions that everyone else is doing yep yep spirit realm tends to feel kind of ephemeral in its time in comparison to real time, but it's close to real time. It's near real time. Mm -hmm. Shadowrun has moved to AR, where basically, like, you're not jacking in, like, the Matrix and moving around. It is it is happening via windows in front of you and things, icons. So it's more linear in mm -hmm. that space. Um, the best thing that you can do, and like like uh, Overwatch did, and that is, is run near linear, is there's always a stage point where you can interact with each other. Mm-hmm. 
And that is where you make sure that those connections have meaning. It comes back to the crew design. Yeah. Crews, yeah. if you have a crew that is doing a crew job, there should always be a linear point where two people connect mm -hmm. within the story. And it's knowing where those connection points are, whether it's the security expert who's opening a door for somebody that then opens that scene to the next person. Or... It's the spirit shaman who's watching for something that just the, the poltergeist to show up, you know, and be available to be, you know, pulled into reality enough to be injured. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's each one of those steps being prepared to be able to do the handoff. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that it has impact and meaning within the story. Uh, for me, um, I mean, first off, all of that. Yes. Um, but for me, like my, my big thing is I tend to ramp up the, uh, the bombast of my narration when I've got a split party, because I know the biggest battle that I'm fighting at the table is boredom mm -hmm. and people's attentions drifting. Yeah. So if I go into extra hyper performer mode, doing extra voices, giving more vivid descriptions of things, find an intense music track to back me, mm -hmm. um, then chances are everybody at the table who ordinarily wouldn't be doing anything is now watching the spectacle and that, they're yeah. into it. No, that's 100% legitimate. I agree with that. Um, and so, yeah, even if it's only one person I'm narrating for, you make that scene the most interesting thing going on so that they don't drift. Yep. And then, you know, when, when something does happen, that's dramatic, your highs and your lows, everybody's feeling that, that the cheer, the, the despair, the, mm -hmm. you know, the impact of it. So, yeah. So, one of the things that I read today, totally unrelated to this topic, I wanted to squeeze it in before our next week's topic discussion. Yeah, right. Um, I was reading, I, I read it a couple weeks ago. Someone was talking about how do I make things feel Cthulian, you know, otherworlding, Lovecraftian. Okay. Um, and uh, the gentleman had, or, or the individual had uh, given, had talked about things like bring two indistinct descriptions together, you know. The grass felt like teeth crunching under your feet with its tips. The yeah. water, like, what was it? The water, like blood, uh, pooled and moved in globs. You know? Mm. Uh, darkness dripped from his body. Like the shadow hadn't fully left him, even though the light sh shone upon his, his lacquered skin. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you're like... Okay, this is an interesting way of doing it. Yep. And yep. Uh, like uh, the the concepts of taking something like that and making something feel truly an aberration, something that's 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 unfathomable. The uh, uh, I would actually suggest reading some Lovecraft um, for as and with, with the giant disclaimer that he was a he was a piece of crap racist horrible writer. Uh, but no 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 well no no here's the thing I don't think he was I don't think he was a horrible writer I think he was a horrible racist but I don't think he was a bad writer. Okay. Um, from the standpoint of how he described things like that. Oh okay. Now mind okay. you he did often enough describe things as undescribable. He he would no. blabber at times. There were but... times a lot he would blabber. He he was he was very fond of his prose. But what I would say though is like the description he gave of this creature come to known as a biaki. Okay. Was something that was not altogether a mole or a crow or an ant or a fetid human corpse, 
but something like, but not like those things. Right, right. And like, we are like, well, it wasn't like those, but wait a minute, like, right. and, and your brain starts trying to reconcile what a crow crossed with an ant crossed with a mole crossed with a rotten human corpse would look like. Let alone what it wouldn't look like. Right, exactly. Right. Like, it's not any of those things, but you kind of get the general idea is essentially how how he described it. And you're like, oh, wow, that's well, messed up. that in its own mm-hmm. made people feel that he was a terrible writer. If you wrote about beauty and all you said, she was not, un- she was not ugly. She was not, you know, she was not dark. Not, not what he's getting at, though. Right. Like, I'm with you. The thing is, if he said it was like a crow, you could be like, oh, okay, so it had black feathers Correct. and a beak and wings. Right. But it didn't. Right. It had wings, kind of like a crow's. But, like, not because they were fleshy and, like, a rotten human corpse. But, again, it, like, wasn't humanoid. Right. It was more like a mole, but, like, didn't have the snout or the claws. You see, right. it was more like an ant because of the mandibles and the, you know. Yeah. Like, it's not an ant because an ant is identifiable. And right. that wasn't this. Right. It was portions that were not of it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not it's not like he was saying it it existed in the void between those things. Right. It's that he was saying that I want to make that comparison, but those comparisons are wrong because those things would have been recognizable and this thing is entirely different. Right. You know? It's it it but is But these are literally the closest similarities I can almost try to tie to it without going insane. Yeah. And what was interesting was that same person, because I actually, I, I found it in a different thread yeah, where somebody yeah. was asking, like, I'm looking to do something otherworldly, uh-huh. like space otherworldly, because, but I want the feeling of like the Fae, mm-hmm. where you're looking at it and your brain can is trying to connect the dots, but it's just outside. So the best thing you can do is make a reasonable comparison. And the one, the, 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 uh, the, the original poster had said, like the way people described angels, where no one got the description right, you know, because there was no right description to be made. <laughs> be not afraid. I said, be not afraid. <laughs> yes. But like, but like, it had a thousand eyes upon its wings that were made of flesh, haloing its perfect head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're like, or it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, what's, uh, perfect features like upon Adam, which no one has met Adam. Mm-hmm. Like, so he was like, okay, so I need something like that. And the same poster came back and said, you need to stop thinking. You need to think Cthulian. You need to take it to another world and bring it back by one degree. Mm-hmm. You start off your statement with a statement. Unlike Cthulhu, where you, you're not defining anything. Your first statement should always be the truth in the case of a fae, or, or something that is fathomable that you're trying to connect your consciousness to. So, for instance, she was stunning. That's the first line. And then the next things after that should always be some things that just don't connect the dots to stunning. Like silver upon a freshly pewtered platter. How does that have anything to do with a woman? Okay, oh, she's shiny. Okay, so maybe that's what I'm excited. So that the person is filling in all the other details of beauty. Mm -hmm. And there you go. So that the person who is sitting at the table listening to you to describe a fae 
all they have is she was gorgeous. And everything else is what they make of these odd descriptions that you attach to it. Yeah. And yeah. it's but they have a start point versus there is no start point. Right. Right. There is just what it is not. Yeah. Like these things. Yeah. And it's it's it was just a very different way of looking at them. I'm like, okay, that is fantastic. Like yeah. that is that is that is the ultra, but at the same time, so along the same line frame. And I mm-hmm. loved it. I loved seeing that. And it was like, Sarah needs to hear this. More people need to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> So, like we did uh, uh, last year, uh, and through, I should say, last season, um, uh, the second of the month is going to continue doing our system spotlights, and funny enough, this was this was not planned in any way, we decided we were going to do Worlds Without Numbers uh, for our next episode, and strangely, we have Cities Without Numbers Kickstarter going off right now. Yep, yep. We are I... not sponsored by that in any way. We have no idea what's going on there. It could totally stink. I doubt it. So this is from uh, 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 the creator of uh, as of uh, Stars Without Number, uh, Kevin Crawford. <laughs> um, wrote a fantastic game there. Uh, he's got Worlds Without Number now is the kind of fantasy analog to that. So we're going to yep. be going over that. And then uh, you know the Kickstarter we just mentioned, Cities Without Number, is going to be his cyberpunk style game, which just uh, just Kickstarter I think just went live either this morning or last night or something like that. Yeah, I'm uh, probably when we get a bit more info on it, I may actually throw a bone out there to see if we can get some data on it because I'd. I'm interested to see what the connection point is and how how that's going to play through or if it's just a continuation by name, yep, you yep. know. But I would I would love to get some information from that group and, and maybe do a micro teardown on it if we can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, I feel that's going to be months out at this point. I, so. want, I want to get this in here at the tail end of our oh. uh, How to Describe Alien Things uh, with the uh, uh, heat sink. Uh, uh, Sean, <laughs> Sean coming in the live yes. chat with the, uh, with the Douglas Adams quote, they hung in the sky much like bricks don't. <laughs> I, or or the or the commentary of the potted plant oh no not again, not again. Yes. <laughs> yeah it's those kinds of moments so uh but yeah hopefully uh next week uh we will we will we will shift into this and give you a little bit more fantasy uh, now that we're stepping back to that realm uh and keep these system spotlights going for you so that uh, you guys can explore systems uh and enjoy them like we do all righty well, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to have you uh, join the discussion there, talk to other great storytellers about your own campaigns, bounce ideas off them, shoot us some questions, join mm-hmm. us in the live chat. We'd love to see you. Um, you can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members uh, who help us out every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subjet, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Pedron, Hulavu, and Sean. We truly appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcaneanthems or on Instagram. I hope you go and check them out. Uh, our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always for our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so Thank much you. for Thank loving you. and supporting us. All of our friends who sat with us at our tables all the over these years to give us great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys love you. so much. Good, Good night. night.